0: Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. A couple of things before we get started tonight. Number one, I would always encourage you to do this, but especially Sunday, this coming Sunday, come prepared to praise the Lord. Our children are going to be singing on Sunday. And then the message Sunday out of Jude 24 and 25 is the only doxology in the entire Bible. The title of the message is Blessing God. And that's what we're going to do in worship, and that's what we're going to do through the Word. We're going to bless God on Sunday. So come prepared to bless the Lord. Secondly, every Christian's heart should have skipped a beat today. If you understand what happened today, our hearts should skip a beat. Declaring Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, is going to open the way for the rebuilding of the temple, which is what needs to take place as we see unfold in prophecy. Folks, we, I'm telling you, we are living very close to the return of the Lord. When you, start, when you start seeing shifts like this, and, and here's what we're going to be reminded of tonight. Regardless of what you think about President Trump, one thing is for sure. All world leaders are nothing more than instruments in the hand of Almighty God. And God is going to make sure that his purpose and plan is carried out. And if he needs certain people in certain places in order to get that done, he will make sure that they get there. If for no other reason as a Christian God allowed Donald Trump to be the President of the United States, it could have maybe been for this one thing. Now, I don't believe that, but I'm just saying it's that significant what happened today. You will see in the months and few years ahead, how this decision is literally now going to cause a big shift in the Middle East. And it's going to open up the way for now the Israelites to begin to rebuild their temple and resume the sacrificial system. As Jesus said, lift up your heads, our redemption draws near." Acts chapter 2, verse 14 through verse 41 tonight is all about convictions of Holy Spirit ministry. There are five in this passage, but before we get to that, I want to begin in verse 14 looking at sort of the key figure here besides God in this passage, and that is the Apostle Peter. After the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost... And we saw last week that there were many different reactions and responses to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that many people either did not understand or demeaned or dismissed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And many mocked and scoffed and even said, these people are simply drinking wine at an early time in the day. Verse 14, But Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed them. You men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem know this and listen carefully to what I say. In spite of what you think, these men are not drunk for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Before we go any further, Let's not miss what's happening here with Peter. What in the world has happened to Peter? This is a man who just a few days earlier was denying the Lord and now is standing up, not just amongst believers, but he is standing up in the midst of a hostile crowd in Jerusalem and he's raising his voice and he's beginning to preach. In fact, this sermon... That Peter gives in Acts chapter 2 is the first of 15 sermons in the book of Acts. It is a book of preaching. And Peter actually gives more sermons in the book of Acts than anybody else. He gives eight of them in this book. This is a wonderful, extraordinary, and powerful message that Peter is delivering. But let's not forget where Peter has just come from immediately and let's not apply not forget to apply this to our lives as well this is a broken vessel that god in a very short time has remade has refashioned and and has gotten back in there and it reminds us that God can forgive, God can redeem, God can restore, and He can take those things that are broken, and He can bring them back, and He can use them once again. And you and I need to remind ourselves of that for our own life, and we need to be instruments to encourage other Christians of the same thing. That no fall is not... Uh, so bad that one cannot get back up from and also be used in a great way by God from. Example, Peter. What in the world has happened to Peter? Well, first of all, Peter saw with his own eyeballs the risen Jesus. That's one thing. And then the second thing is Peter has now been infused with the Holy Spirit of God. He's a different man than he was just a couple weeks earlier. And it reminds us what the presence and power of God can do in a person's life when God grabs a hold of them. That's one thing. The second thing is this. Many people who aren't preachers don't think about this, but I want to talk about this for just a moment before we get into the convictions of the Holy Spirit ministry, and that is, what is preaching? Hmm. Well, this passage is actually a very good example of what preaching is, or what it should be. Because you'll know, what does Peter do? He simply, beginning in verse 17, goes to the Scriptures and begins to expound and explain them. That's what he does with Joel the prophet. That's what he does in verse 25 with with one of the Psalms that David wrote, Psalm 16. And that's what he does in verse 34 and 35, looking at referencing Psalm 116, another one by David. What's he doing? He is citing the scriptures, and he is explaining and expounding them. In fact, you'll notice in verse 16, Peter is basically saying, this is that that Joel talked about. In other words, he's telling the audience here, They are not drunk. Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is fulfillment of prophecy that Joel and other prophets in the Old Testament predicted. And Peter now is able to explain this to the audience. So, we come to the first conviction, the first essential. There are five essential convictions of Holy Spirit ministry in this passage. What I mean by that is, when the Holy Spirit is in charge, when the Holy Spirit is large and in charge, when he is centered there and allowed to work and move, there's going to be five convictions of God's people that, that are evidenced. And the first one that we see from Peter is this a conviction about the Bible. Again, we see, where is Peter at? He's immersed himself in the Bible. And even though he says that the human author, verse 16, was Joel the prophet, and then in verse 25 was David the king, and then in verse 34 was David, that he understands, and he wrote later on in his own letter in 2 Peter, that holy men of God were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they spoke from God. So ultimately, Peter's conviction is that the words that he is sharing here is not simply the words of human beings. They are the word of God. And Peter is in the word of God. So that he can gain understanding into what's happening and so that he can explain it to others. That's why God wants us in the Word. Because you and I cannot even interpret like there. The things that are happening around us today and understand how they fit in to God's history and to the Bible, if we don't understand the Bible and then cannot explain it to others. That's exactly what Peter is doing. That's why you and I as God's people need to love the Bible, and we need to live the Bible, and we need to memorize and meditate on the Word of God. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to pour it over in our minds over and over again. Again, I go back to verse 16 of chapter 2. This is that, Peter is saying. You notice what he's saying? Here's what Joel said. Now, here's what I did. I took that piece of the puzzle, what Joel said, and now I'm able to see that this is what it's in reference to. See, that's what God wants all of us as Christians to be able to do. To take things that are happening or things that have happened and be able to take another piece of the puzzle that God has given us in His Word and say, this fits that. For instance, that's what all of us are supposed to do as counselors. Not all of us are called to be professional counselors, but all of us as Christians are called to be able to counsel and advise one another. And the best counselors are those who can say, okay, here's the situation you're dealing with now, and here are the verses or passages of Scriptures that fits that situation. And that's, again, why we've got to immerse ourselves in the Bible. That's why we've got to continue to understand it so that we can explain it and so that we can take the parts of it and like puzzle pieces go, this piece fits there. And that's exactly what you see Peter doing here. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. And he says, I was reading Joel. And I realized that what Joel the prophet said fits right here. This is what it is, you see. This is why the Word of God will always be important here. Because the Holy Spirit ultimately wrote this book through the people whose names are attached to all 66 books here. And because of that, then, the Holy Spirit will always bring us back to the Word of God. And we should all have a strong conviction about the Word of God. It should be our authority and our guide, just as it was for the early church and for the apostles, you see. Peter goes on in verse 17 down through verse 21 and basically says, what you saw happening here on the day of Pentecost is exactly what Joel predicted. Now then he goes on for the rest of these passages and basically shares with us the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and exaltation of Jesus Christ. Because... He's going to come around to another conviction in just a moment. But before that, let me give you the second conviction of Holy Spirit ministry. The first is a conviction about the Bible. Secondly, Peter and all Christians who are being guided by the Holy Spirit will have a conviction that God has a plan. That God has a plan. Notice that He's talking here in verse 22 of chapter 2 about Jesus the Nazarene. And here's what Peter says. I want to begin in verse 22 and then flow into verse 23. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man clearly attested to you by God with powerful deeds, wonders, and miraculous signs that God performed among you through him. Just as you yourselves know, this man who was handed over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you executed by nailing him to a cross at the hands of the Gentiles. First of all, notice something. Peter's saying, you are not as human beings absolved of your responsibility. You're responsible for your actions. So he's saying here, and can you imagine, some of the people that he was preaching to were in this crowd that had crucified or caused the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Again, can you imagine the boldness and courage now that Peter has? And just a few days earlier, like I said, he wanted nothing to do with attaching himself to Jesus Christ. Now he's standing up in front of thousands of people and he's saying, you crucified him. That's the difference that the Holy Spirit can make in our lives. So, I don't want us to think that by believing that God has a plan, a predetermined plan, that somehow it absolves human beings of our responsibility. What Peter is saying here in verse 23 and what can give us encouragement and comfort as Christians, as Christ followers is, that he's reminding us in verse 23 that God is the Lord of history. That he is always in charge That yes, he does allow human beings to have free will, but he only allows those human beings, us, to go so far. And then, just like the angels we talked about in Jude several weeks ago, he will put a stop to it if we go out too far outside those boundaries or we color too far outside the line. Because God is going to get things to go the way he has said that they are to go and the way he wants history to go. And what Peter also was saying, and this should give us great heart here, is that nothing ever takes God by surprise. Nothing that happens in our life or in the history of the world ever catches God off guard as if he didn't see it coming. He knew about it from eternity past, and so I want us to be, again, heartened and encouraged by that even tonight, even on an individual basis. Whatever you personally are going through right now, you need to hear this, that God knew what you were going through and what you would be dealing with. He knew about it from eternity past. And whatever it is that he's allowed now to happen, it is part of his predetermined plan. Because God has a plan. And God has a plan for everybody and everything. And again, even though God will allow us some room to exercise our own free will... God ultimately is going to land things exactly where he wants to land them. Now, I've done this before, but just very quickly, I'm going to give you my feeble, fragile illustration that try to wrap your minds around this concept. Because many people in the religious and theological worlds don't reconcile at all the free will responsibility of man with the sovereignty of God. They, they don't see how they can coexist. And yet I think it's actually pretty simple. Take a cruise ship. The cruise ship is going to leave this port and it's going to go to another port and it's going to dock. And look at that as that's the sovereign God. In other words, that ship has got a destination and it's going to get to that destination. But while all those thousands of people are on that cruise ship, obviously these huge cruise ships, there's a lot of different things that people can get involved in and do and a lot of different choices and decisions that people can make on that ship. And it can be totally different. And they can exercise all free will that they want to, except they can't go off the boat, obviously. And that's the way I see God working that God can still allow us as human beings and even at one time the angelic world a free will to be able to make our own choices but at the same time the boat is going to land where God says the boat's going to land at. And that is a conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit. Because that way you and I then when things happen to us in our life we don't get disheartened and discouraged and throw up our hands and go, What's going on? And did God not see this? Does God not care? Whatever. No, God saw this coming from eternity past. And God has a purpose and plan for this. And God can bring good even out of the most horrible of situations. Because our God can work all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And the reason that this is a conviction of Holy Spirit ministry is because many times when things happen to us or happen to others, we begin to get a wrong perspective of God because somehow we again have slowly sort of melded into the fact that life and eternity and all this is all about us. And we've got to remember that the message of the Bible and the message of the Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible is that everything that happens is all about the glory of god it's not about our comfort not about our happiness not about this and that no no it's about the glory of god which is why paul said even to christians whatever we do whether we even eat or drink all things that we do should be done to what the glory of god the glory of god In everything that God plans, God's going to get glory from it. And God is simply looking to His people who are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit to say, will you bring glory to me in this situation? That is the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. And you see it here coming out of the mouth of Peter. Third, a conviction about Jesus. Now this might seem strange, but what Peter here is expounding and explaining to us in Acts chapter 2 is that Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit isn't really about the Holy Spirit. It's about Jesus. Which is exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will glorify who? Jesus. Me. And He will hear from me what is mine and will tell it to you that's why throughout this passage as Peter is under the control of the Holy Spirit who's he talking about here he's not talking about the Holy Spirit because when the Holy Spirit's in charge guess who's going to be magnified and exalted Jesus that's why throughout this passage it's about the death burial resurrection ascension and exaltation of Jesus look with me in verse 21 When Peter said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then the very next verse, well, who's the Lord? Jesus the Nazarene. Then in verse 25, when he starts to quote David in Psalm 16 and says, I always saw the Lord in front of me and he will not leave his soul in Hades. He will not permit your Holy One to experience decay. He wasn't talking there, David, about himself. He was talking there about the Lord. He was talking there about Jesus. And then in verse 34, when he quotes David again in Psalm 116 and said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand until I make my enemies your footstool for your feet. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Which is why Peter goes on to say in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know beyond a doubt that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord in and Christ. See, it was a conviction that, of the early church, and it was sort of a creed that Jesus is Lord. He's not just Savior. He is Lord. That's why Paul even wrote to the Philippians, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus is Lord. If any man will confess Jesus Christ as Lord... Paul talks about in Romans, then he will be saved. Now, if you doubt that this is all about Jesus and not about the Holy Spirit, then look at verse 33 of chapter 2. As Peter's talking, he says, "...so then, exalted to the right hand of God," that's Jesus, "...and having received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father," He has. Who's the he has? It's Jesus. Jesus has poured out what you both see and hear. You see, what Peter is teaching here and what his conviction about Jesus is, is that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the is the ongoing ministry of Jesus Christ. It's not like Jesus' ministry was relegated to his time on earth, and now that he's up there with at the right hand of God the Father, he's sort of finished, and now it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. What Peter is teaching is that the, the Holy Spirit is simply the agent of the ongoing ministry of Jesus that he's directing from heaven. And that when the Holy Spirit was poured out, who poured him out? Jesus. And that's why, again, in many references to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, He's called the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of Jesus. Meaning, again, that His ministry as God is not about Himself, it's about pointing people to Jesus. 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 You know, when the Holy Spirit's at work, When Jesus is magnified and exalted. If Jesus is being magnified and praised and exalted, then you know the Holy Spirit is in control. Because that's what he's all about. And, And just like Jesus as the second person of the Trinity was so selfless in leaving the glory of heaven and coming to earth and taking upon himself human flesh and dying on the cross. Think about the selflessness of the Holy Spirit. His whole ministry, if you will, is not about drawing attention to himself as the Holy Spirit. It's about pointing people to Jesus Christ. Selfless. Absolutely selfless, the Holy Spirit is. Fourth conviction. A conviction about salvation. A conviction about salvation. And I guess I would say our need for salvation. Because notice in verse 37, when they heard this very powerful message from Peter, the Bible says they were acutely distressed. Literally, they were like pierced. It reminds us what the book of Hebrews says, that the word of God is living, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces into our very being. Listen, when you and I are handling the Word of God, there should always be those those moments where we feel that the Word of God is, is performing a spiritual surgery on us, if you will. Because that's what God intended the Word of God to do. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what should we do, brothers? These are people that maybe they really were part of the crowd that got jesus christ crucified and notice what peter said repent verse 38 and each one of you be baptized in the name of jesus christ with a view to the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit salvation man needs salvation what did Jesus say to Nicodemus in John 3, verse 8? Do not marvel, Nicodemus, that I am saying to you, you must be what? Born again. Paul says in Romans three twenty three, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every human being needs salvation. Here's the problem. You and I, at this time of year, we think about gifts and giving. That's what Christmas, you know? We... we We have that mentality. Well, listen, Jesus Christ was the gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The problem is many human beings down through history have never received a gift. Why? Because they don't think they need salvation. And that's why men and women always need to be confronted with our sin. And our depravity and our need of—we have gotten to a point where we believe, and through our humanistic philosophy, that's even taught to our young people in schools, that man is basically good. Just the opposite of what Paul said in Romans three: "There is none righteous, no, not one." And we have lost our need for salvation. We've lost our our need to think we need a savior. Because ultimately, we think, well, we're pretty good people. And God says, compared to me as a holy God, you all fall short. All are in need of salvation. And and when the Holy Spirit is in control, man will see their need of God. Not just for salvation but then he will create an environment even amongst Christians where we will see our need for God. Nicole talked about that as far as grace. We won't won't receive God's grace or ask God's grace or pray for God's grace or stand in need of God's grace if we don't think we need it. There's got to be that sense of need I need you. Every hour I need you, we sing. And that's what the Holy Spirit will do. He will create that sense of need and dependence that we have to be dependent on God, rather than living independently of God. And so there's that conviction. Then finally, and this flows into what I started out with tonight with the whole declaring Jerusalem the capital of Israel, there's a conviction of urgency. A conviction of urgency about the way we live and about the way we go about living. Because notice very significantly what Peter says back now in verse 17 as he quotes the prophet Joel. And what's significant about this is if you read this passage in the book of Joel, the phrase in the last days are not how Joel says it. It's afterwards, after this. So Peter, under the control of the Holy Spirit, is saying, no, 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 no. This isn't just afterwards. This is in the last days. So here's what Peter says. In the last days it will be, God says, that I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Now think about that. 2,000 years ago, Peter is saying, Pentecost marks that we're living in the last days. That his pouring out the Spirit at Pentecost, like he did, that's what Joel talked about. And that's the last days. If Peter thought we were living in the last days 2,000 years ago, again, 2,000 years later, how much closer are we to the return of Christ? You see, what the Holy Spirit will do is the Holy Spirit will try to help us see the significance of the time in which we are living. And when you and I are under the control of the Holy Spirit, he will teach us to number our days so that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. He will teach us not to waste time, but to seize the opportunities that we have. Not only because we are living in the last days, but because he helps us to understand that our life is fleeting. It is a vapor, and it's only here for a short time, and then we're gone into eternity. And the Holy Spirit will allow us and enable us and empower us to live our lives with a sense of urgency that instead of putting things off, to do them and do them now. Christians are some of the best procrastinators in the world. Because somehow we have it twisted that because God has a plan and, you know, I trust God that I can just sort of, you know, Put it on cruise control. And Peter is saying, don't you realize the times in which you're living? We're living in the last days. Therefore, he tells the crowd, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. In closing tonight, many people ask me, what is the pattern of the church as far as bringing people into the church, making them a part of the church, What was the earlier, because I've told you before, we don't do classes here for new members, anything like that. We don't don't make people go through classes and jump hoops to become part of our church, because I personally don't see that in the Bible. I only see these three things, and it's found in verse 41 of Acts chapter 2. Saved, baptized, added to the church. That's the pattern. You'll see it throughout the New Testament. Saved, baptized, added to the church. Notice what happened. So those who accepted his message, those who embraced it, those who gladly welcomed it, those who believed in it, meaning they were saved, saved how? Through believing in the word of God, by faith, they were baptized. You see, I I think baptism is important, not because I think baptism means that's the way I get saved, but it is an important first step of obedience as a follower of Christ, that was the pattern. And that's why it saddens me that so many Christians today will be, say they become a believer, but then put off baptism as if it's not important. Baptism is important. Jesus says, if you will not confess me before men, I will not confess you before my Father in heaven. Baptism is a way to publicly confess that we are Christians and that we're not ashamed of being a follower of Christ. So in the New Testament, people were saved, they were baptized, and then notice they were added to the church. That day, about 3,000 people were added to the body of Christ. What a picture. This man, who was so timid and fearful just a few days earlier, now is standing up in front of thousands of people, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he has a conviction about the Bible. He has a conviction about God's plan and his part in it. Because Peter knows there are rough days coming. Jesus has warned them. Things are not going to be easy. You all are eventually going to be martyred. So it's not like things are now just going to be rosy. When, when Peter understands God has a plan, though, he understands I'm right in the very hands of God. He's got me. He's never going to leave me or forsake me. I don't have to be afraid of whatever's going to happen because God has thought about this from eternity past. And he has a conviction about Jesus. He has a conviction about salvation and he has a conviction about the urgency with which he lives, and he's trying to stir others around him to live in the same vein. You and I need to allow the Holy Spirit to create those same convictions in our life. A conviction about the Bible, about the plan of God, about Jesus Christ, about salvation and our need for God, And finally, about living with a sense of urgency. May God add his blessing to the teaching of his word tonight. Let's pray. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit who stirs within us and brings out, Lord, the things that align with you and your nature and your person that lines up with your predetermined plan and purpose for us and everything in this universe. And God, I pray tonight that we would allow the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us to take over and bring us to a place, God, where, Lord, we see these same convictions in our life because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, may we be encouraged even by the example of Peter who fell time and time again. But because God is a God of forgiveness and second chances, because God can take broken things and refashion them and remake them and restore them, Peter was a mighty warrior for God. And God wasn't done with him, just like God's not done with you or with someone else. So God, I pray tonight that you would again use your word, to strengthen your people, to root us and build us up in you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.